0: Hi there. I'm David Culver, Vice President of U.S. Government Relations at Canopy Growth, once again joining you from Washington, D.C. Welcome back to this episode of Under the Canopy. This week, I'm very pleased to be joined by Steve Hawkins. Steve is the Executive Director of the Marijuana Policy Project, a leading organization in the United States advancing legalization of cannabis for adult use and medical treatment. As a graduate of Harvard University and the NYU School of Law, Steve began his career as a civil rights attorney and has worked on a range of policy issues over the last 30 years. He's held a number of leadership positions within the nonprofit sector, including Executive Vice President of the NAACP, Executive Director of Amnesty International USA, President of the Coalition for Public Safety, and Executive Director of the National Coalition to Abolish the Death Penalty. Steve is a fierce advocate for civil rights and social justice. He is a leader in the cannabis reform space, and I'm so excited for him to share his valuable perspective with you today. Please enjoy the discussion, and as always, thank you for joining us Under the Canopy.
1: Steve Hawkins, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Under the Canopy. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, David. Glad to be with you. Good. Thanks so much. Uh, lots to cover, uh, lots of excitement in the cannabis space. We're excited to hear from you. But before we begin, uh, how are you and your family doing?
2: Family's doing well. My kids are so happy to have me home more often, you know, I but I I will candidly admit I miss some of the travel.
1: Yeah, well, you and I both. Uh, it's odd that I miss the United Airlines seat but I definitely do on occasion so hopefully we will get back to that very soon. Um, okay well let's let's dive in because there's a lot of ground to cover and I know that the audience is really excited to hear from you so thank you again for, for taking the time. Um, first of all I, I think that there were uh, a couple big winners on election day. One of them of course is president-elect Joe Biden uh, and Senator Harris, Vice President Alex Harris. Uh, and the second is cannabis. And I, I know that the Marijuana Policy Project, you and your team had a really, really big part of that. So congratulations. Um, I want to hear all the specifics and the details, but have you gotten any rest? Have you been able to recover a bit?
2: Oh, the, the team has gotten some rest, but you know we're already looking at legislative uh the legislative map for 2021, but certainly um, a couple of the staff who just worked tirelessly have taken a little bit of time off to recharge their batteries.
1: Good, good. Well, I know I'm still recovering myself, so I hope you guys all get uh, get some rest so that we can get to work uh, for this fall and, and to look at 2021, which I'd like to talk more about that later on in our conversation. But, Let's back up a little bit and talk about uh, the beginning of 2021 and your playbook as you prepared for these ballot initiatives. Can you give us a little bit of insight about what was on your mind? What was your thinking? What did did your playbook look like?
2: Yeah. So the beginning of 2020, we knew that we could build on the success from 2016, where four states that night passed ballot uh, initiatives, legalizing cannabis, we could build on 2018 when we had actually run our way to victory in, in uh, Utah on a um, on a medical bill there. Uh, so we knew that this could be a, a significant year, uh, David. So the playbook first was to get a sense of how some of these states would poll. And we saw uh, early on, for example, that South Dakota not only had the votes in place or where that the, the polling was showing that there was broad public support for medical, but it was also showing that there was broad public support for uh, legalization. And that's in a state that heretofore had pretty stringent punitive laws around cannabis. So, you know, Montana and South Dakota and New Jersey, where we had worked to try to get legislation passed and then the, the legislature pushed off to to the uh, referendum. We all knew that those would be in play uh, and they came to fruition and very excited about all of those victories as well as Arizona. Uh, and I will say, David, that the playbook was broader, right? We were looking at Oklahoma, we were looking at Missouri, uh, but uh, with the uh, pandemic, the the signature drives in those states ha- had to stall and there just wasn't time to uh, to uh, get them going again. But look out because I think those states in 22 will likely follow, uh, follow where South Dakota and, and Montana have gone.
1: Yeah. So I, I'd like to ask some more specifics about the five states that were successful um, and specifically the, the regional impact. So we have a state like South Dakota, um, we have a state, uh, a southern state like Mississippi, both of which are conservative. We also have a highly uh, populated state like New Jersey uh, with highly populated states on either side of them that have also been looking very closely at legalization. So what sort of impact do you see um, that these five states are gonna have on their regions uh, and on other states that may be considering cannabis legalization of some sort?
2: Sure, I'll answer that at at two levels really. The first is that uh, what we saw on, on election night was that there was just a showing of broad public support for cannabis legalization. Because you have Montana and South Dakota and Mississippi, all red states, all where the electorate went for Donald Trump, uh, voting for legalization of cannabis at the same time, two of those states for adult use and and, and one for medical. Uh, but it shows that this isn't just a blue state issue, right? New Jersey passing cannabis legalization, I don't think shocked anyone. (laughs) But the fact that South Dakota and Montana did uh, is is a showing that cannabis has crossed the political divide. And I think also, David, as you're pointing out, not only are we seeing cannabis legalization where the electorate wants it in states like an industrial state like like uh, New Jersey in the Northeast, but also in places as rural as Montana. So, so I think regionally, to 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 go to the the question uh, that you ask, I I think that we will see certainly with New Jersey a kind of domino effect uh, in the Northeast, where we already see Governor Cuomo saying, you know, the third time will be the charm, because he certainly has mentioned it in past. Uh, past sessions uh, that New York will very well, may very well succeed th- this year. Um, I suspect that it will. Um, I think we'll see Connecticut uh, and perhaps, um, perhaps Ro- Rhode Island as, as, as well. So there's definitely that regional impact. And I think we'll see it also with how the Southeast responds uh, since Mississippi has now legalized for medical use. Uh, we still have to, get traction in states like Alabama and South Carolina. So, um, so I suspect that we will see this, this regional impact and, um, and hopefully also a larger discussion you know, about what does it mean that we're seeing this kind of breadth of, of, of public support for cannabis legalization.
1: All right. Steve, let me ask you about the, uh, the tax revenue that states are looking for. Um, We've heard from a number of uh, staff and governor's offices across the country asking us what type of revenues we think uh, cannabis legalization could generate. Is that something that you and your team are thinking about Um, as as we come out of this pandemic? We know that states are going to be addressing ballooning budget deficits. Um, They're going to be looking for new jobs. They're going to be looking for economic impact. Do you think that cannabis can be a part of that? Is that something that uh, governors are thinking about in state capitals?
2: absolutely
1: David uh,
2: we're hearing that certainly in New York we're hearing that in Connecticut uh, uh, New Mexico uh, you know is is also I, I think zeroing in on the potential for, for tax revenue um, and so how we are approaching that we, we've always made the economic argument it's just getting uh, greater salience this year so in Connecticut uh, we, helped to commission a study that came out from the University of Connecticut, respected economics uh, department there, which showed that Connecticut could generate, you know, up to a billion dollars in tax revenue over the next five years. Um, And we're making the point that while cannabis certainly won't close, what will be some large budget deficits, it can certainly help to, uh, to, you know, Bring in resources that can be used for perhaps some some particular needs, whether it's around education or you know local uh, local municipalities. So I suspect that we will hear those arguments in New York and and Connecticut uh, relatively loudly, and perhaps Rhode Island as well.
1: Yeah, good. Uh, so I think you know I spend a. a- big chunk of my time, or at least I used to, uh, wandering the halls of, uh, of Congress. I've been doing this for a long time. And talk to our audience a little bit about the impact that uh, a state like South Dakota, for instance, which is conservative and has conservative elected officials, is going to have about uh, on our work on Capitol Hill.
2: Yes. Uh, I, I think, David, we are on our way to seeing a, a game change precisely because we're now seeing red states, deep red states like South Dakota uh, adopt, you know, cannabis legalization. So, so what it means is that John Thune woke up uh, Wednesday morning after election day and is now representing a state where the electorate has has voted for, for cannabis. Um, he will either become a champion, or at least he will acquiesce as uh, time time goes by. But the broader point here, I, I, I think, is that we not only will win champions and allies in Congress as we uh, broaden into red states, and we will need that for, for the Senate for, for sure, but also I, I think, David, it opens up an opportunity for more discussion in conservative media uh, about cannabis legalization. And, and that's one of the things that we've been doing for the past several months, just working to ensure that we get into conservative the conservative ecosystem a bit more uh, with respect to uh, cannabis. So making sure that we get coverage in Red State and uh, some of the conservative blogs. and uh, And all of that I think will will uh, benefit our efforts in, uh, in our Congress, uh, but also I, I think the efforts in, in the states.
1: Yeah, good. Well, there's no question in my mind that cannabis is not a partisan issue. It's more of a generational one. And I think uh, your point about some of these elected officials, uh, they're going to have to reexamine their policy position because of uh, the fact that their states have legalized either Uh, recreationally and or medically as well. So uh, it's gonna be an interesting year uh, in Congress, even though it looks like the makeup uh, is gonna be relatively the same as it was during this particular Congress that we're in right now. So uh, final question about next year for you and the states. You rattled off quite a few states that are on your mind for 2021. Uh, Can you just, uh, for the audience, kind of give us the five or six that are top of mind for you? Sure, sure, top of mind. Uh, New York,
2: Connecticut, Maryland, Rhode Island, New Mexico. I, I think those five states, we could see cannabis legalized for adult use in 2021, by June of, of a 20, 2021. I think, David, that if we see that happen, you know, the old saying that change doesn't come from Washington, it comes to it. Well, we we just finished delivering... Four, four states uh, for adult legalization. We now have 15, I think we're on our way to a 20. So we're gonna be zeroing in on, on those five states. Uh, I think medical in South Carolina could, could be a reality in, in this coming year as well.
1: Great, okay, well, I'm excited to work with you and your team uh, next year on that. And also very excited about the possibilities that this could happen uh, in the first six months of 2021. Okay, I'd like to pivot a little bit, uh, if I could, to the, the uh, presidential. So uh, while the uh, President Trump is not uh, conceded yet, uh, I think we, it's fair to say that we are going to have President-elect Biden in the White House. Uh, and we know through their uh, political rhetoric that um, they have said uh, quite a bit of late that they are going to uh, decriminalize and they're also going to potentially reschedule. And they will do so early on. They've got three big themes that they're looking at, uh, climate change, getting the pandemic under control, and of course, criminal justice reform. And I believe that cannabis uh, is gonna be an important part of that uh, final piece. But talk to me a little bit, if you would please, about uh, the whole notion of an executive order around to decriminalize cannabis um, and also to reschedule. What does that do, do for cannabis reform next year?
2: Well, if if that comes to pass it, it, it will be uh, so significant because you know what, what we what I see as decriminalization in, in the US Congress would, would be to see cannabis descheduled and to really let the states then decide uh, you know how how best to tax and uh, and regulate It's not to say that that there won't be some level of a uh, federal oversight of course, and that will 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 get hammered out, but but this but this this session of Congress could shape up to be the watershed moment for the industry and for consumers and advocates. Um, at the very least, David, we will certainly see movement on on um, you know the, the Safe Act and some of these other uh, you know sort of lower hanging fruit. But but I think that that comprehensive reform uh, along the lines that, you know, President-elect Biden has, has um, articulated uh, is still within reach in, in this Congress.
1: Yeah, good. Well, I agree with that completely. Uh, so we are almost out of time here, Steve, but I wanted to um, end with a question for you about social equity. Uh, you're a leader uh, in the cannabis space um, very clearly. That's obvious by the excellent work that you did this year. So thank you again to you and your team. But you've also been um, a leader in the social equity space as it relates to, to cannabis. Um, can you talk to me a little bit about your thoughts uh, related to legislation that does address some of those issues?
2: Well, certainly, David. And, and I would be remiss to say that, that the work that MPP has done Gets done because of a wide range of supporters, and certainly canopy growth, and the involvement that you all had in Montana uh, certainly helped to make that that effort happen. And you know, I suspect that we'll be partners on on um, many things to to come. But to speak specifically uh, about equity, uh, prior to coming to MPP, I did civil rights work and have worked. Uh, at you know the NAACP uh, over many years, what what is so important in equity uh, is you know, and I'll say two two things about it. First, equity cannot be looked at just simply in the sort of way that that um we have been in sort of this bubble around uh, around it, given the. Sort of circumstances that we find ourselves with cannabis in uh, right right now. And what I mean by that is the limited opportunities for for, um, capital uh, injection into companies, um, how how the states have been protective in uh, different ways. So if we see banking regularized, for example, that opens up the opportunity for minority business owners to be able to take advantage of um, small business loans. It opens up the opportunity to take advantage of incentive programs that are in place already at the municipal and state level. Uh, And these have been the historical ways that that minority business owners, uh, small business owners have been able to benefit. so we have this structural problem that I think we, we address when we're able to finally make some changes at the federal level. Um, and now for the second part, which is, you know, within sort of the, the, uh, the box that we find ourselves in now around how we address e- equity. I think that certainly, you know, we need to think about how licenses get distributed, um, how resources, May allocate back to uh, states that that were most in, impacted, or our communities rather, and part of that, of course, is that we've had in this country a 50-year war on drugs, and communities of color were certainly impacted in that time period. So, so all of this makes sense. Um, the, the, the area that I that I think gets overlooked here, David, though, is is. How to ensure that there's more uh, job opportunities for, you know, for, for communities of color in the existing space? Um, there is much that we can do still um, that has nothing to do with licenses and how the pie gets divvied. I mean, we know that this is a market uh, and an industry, rather, that is gonna produce still hundreds of thousands of jobs. And so I want to you know, encourage us to think about how we diversify our workforce within this space um, and you know, be, be certainly thinking about hiring and wanting companies that reflect the diversity of the, of the country.
1: Well, excellent points as always. Uh, we are 100% aligned there and I really appreciate your leadership on this issue and everything else uh, that you do for cannabis reform. Um, you will be someone that we as a company will be looking to next year in terms of the, the politics, um, but also in terms of equity uh, and very much uh, look forward to your guidance as we as a company enter the U.S. market. So thank you on, on both fronts for, for all you do and for all your team. Um, you, are, you are fabulous to be with us today on this episode of Under the Canopy. I'm really, really grateful to you. I'm excited about uh, next year. And um, I look forward to our partnership. So thank you again for all you do, Steve Hawkins. Thank you. Anytime, David.